Episode 242, John Rossman, author of The Amazon Way and his latest book, Big Bet Leadership. Well, I really appreciate the way you frame it as your favorite mistake, not your biggest mistake or, or anything like that. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about John Rossman, his company, his books, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake242. Happy New Year, and as always, thanks for listening. Welcome back to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. My guest today is John Rossman. He is a leadership and digital transformation expert. He's the author of three books on leadership and business innovation, including the best-selling The Amazon Way. He was an early Amazon executive who played a key role in launching the Amazon marketplace business in 2002. And his upcoming book, we're going to hear about that again later in the episode, stay, stay tuned, is Big Bet Leadership, your playbook for winning in the hyper-digital era. So John will have a special offer. And before I tell you a little bit more about John, John, thank you for being here. How are you? Hey, Mark. Great. I hope I'm not your biggest mistake uh, having me on this podcast and everything, but great to be here. Thanks for, uh, thanks for inviting uh, I, me. I, I, I don't share any sort of hypothesis that you would be <laughs> any sort of mistake. Um, now, the upcoming book, will that be number four? That's number four. Yep. So the author of, uh, well, you've already authored number four. It is just not published yet, correct? That's right. Yeah, it's it's all done. It's just getting laid out right now. It'll be released February 27th. It'll be, you know, real nice hard copy, Kindle, Audible book and, um, you know, selling through all the major channels. Yeah, well, great. We'll look forward uh, to that. We'll look forward to hearing about your special offer um, later on. So, um, John is also a leading keynote speaker on leadership for innovation, uh, on transformation and artificial intelligence. He's given over 200 keynotes to worldwide audiences. John has served as senior innovation advisor at T-Mobile and a senior technology advisor to the Gates Foundation. John is the founder of Rossman Partners, uh, a leadership development, coaching, and advisor solutions company. And it says here in the bio, I don't know if this is true today, you are often joined by a Frenchie. That's a French bulldog. Is that yeah, right? that's uh, that's boss man Rossman. He's he's right down there. If you want him to make an appearance, I can get him up here. But yes, he's uh, he's our our mascot. Yeah. Well, if he if he makes some noise, that's quite all right. It's good to hear from people's dogs. He, he just sleeps all day. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I picture him maybe drooling on the floor. <laughs> Not too far from that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, all right. I know our conversation is not going to lead uh, to sleep or drooling. <laughs> I think we have a lot to talk about here today. But, you know, think first things first, as we always do, John, you know, with the different things you've done in your career, I'm really curious, uh, you know, looking back, what would you say is your favorite mistake? Well, I really appreciate the way you frame it as your favorite mistake, not your biggest mistake or, or anything like that. But my, my favorite mistake is what people forget about Amazon and the Amazon marketplace. So the, the, I joined Amazon early 2002. 
to launch the marketplace business that's third party selling at amazon.com. What people forget is that there had been two previous attempts at some type of third party selling strategy and platform at Amazon. It had failed and Bezos was getting all sorts of advice primarily internally and from the board to not to continue to pursue this. But, you know, he always talked about, you know, being fixed on your strategy, flexible on your tactics. Um, And this was a a moment where he really showed like he knew we had to solve this problem. And the problem being, how do we rapidly expand categories? 90% of the business at that point was books, music, video, hard to remember those days. Most of it was first party retail. So Amazon purchased the inventory. And what we were trying to do was rapidly expand categories without having all the inventory, not having all the the OEM relationships, brand relationships. And so it was a, it was a big bet. And um, People just forget about, you know, the the bold moves that he had to make to, to make this happen. And after we launched it in fall of 2002, it really took several years for the, the selection to fill in, for customers to get used to coming to Amazon to purchase more than bo- just books, music, video. And when we combine the marketplace with Prime and FBA or fulfillment by Amazon, it was really that trifecta that was never, nobody ever put those pieces together. Like that was never on the drawing board. Like, oh, well, we'll do these things in sequence. It, it, it was just the fact that we, you know, kind of kept at it and everything. And so that that's really the story of one of the best business models ever uh, built, which is the marketplace business, and that it wasn't obvious that it was going to win, and uh, what it took to do. So, in that attempt, in that third attempt for Amazon, your first swing at it, but yep. third, third attempt for Amazon. I mean, how confident were you that this was going to work out, or that Amazon would figure it out? Or how confident were you that this was not a mistake? Like, what what was different that time? Um, well, the, because we were solving some of the big problems that we felt were the major inhibitors um, in the prior. Uh, first of all, the prior versions, which was called uh, Z Shops and then Auctions, it it, it had a, a poor customer experience. And that customer experience was highlighted by that there were separate checkouts, separate pipelines, we call them, for when you were purchasing things from Amazon versus purchasing things from third parties. And we, and and so we solved that hard problem. And the other hard problem that we, we solved was, um, you know, eBay was the King marketplace at the time. And if you searched for an item, you could get 20 pages of essentially the same item. And as a customer, you had to do the really hard thing of like going through and like, well, is this the same thing? And what's the offer? We did the really hard work, which was reconciling, items together, which was a really tricky data ingestion engineering problem to solve. It also put a lot of complexity on on our sellers, but what it resulted in was what we called item authority. In item, one detail page. Now, there could be multiple offers against that detail page, but that that was actually a really creative uh, solution, hard thing to do, took a bunch of investment, but was absolutely critical to the end customer experience. And so we added up kind of, I don't know, call it five to eight critical risks that we thought like, well, these are the things that are going to be different. And 
we brought those risks forward. We tested them out, and um, you know our theory was right. Mm. So tell us more about that testing process. Was some of this testing happening before it really, really launched, or was there kind of a, a soft launch of, of sorts? Right, and and all the above, uh, and and sometimes testing in the in the in the real world, and. Test environments are always one of those tricky things of re, you know, when you have multiple uh, um, complex end to end systems, really doing testing, especially with third parties, was really, really tough. For example, how, how do you test credit card uh, orders and things like that? Like, you know, those were novel things that we were trying to solve for in 2002. So I would say, it was mostly tested pre-release and then a lot of things kind of worked out post-release. The things that we were able to test really well pre-release was, could we get the choreography, the, the, the dance between Amazon and sellers to be both robust enough so that we provided a really good customer experience, but obvious enough so that different types of sellers could actually in a self-service manner, be a seller at Amazon. And, and it was that delicate balance between a great customer experience, very different than eBay, but we knew we wanted to scale to hundreds of thousands of sellers and we weren't going to do it just by adding headcount. So we knew we had to create a real self-service platform. And so those were the, the two things that we were largely able to prove out um, pre-launch. And so with Marketplace, I mean, that exists today. Is this, like, I'm, I'm looking, okay, selfishly, I'm going to pull up the page for, for my book, The Mistakes That Make Us. And when you see more buying choices, eight used and new offers, is that, is that Marketplace? Those are likely Marketplace uh, sellers. And so my guess is, is that Amazon is the first party seller for your book. And then you have third parties who um, have the book and are also making an offer to sell the book. Yeah. And, and it tells you, I mean, it is yep. uh, yes. a store and it lists you know, some of these stores and, you know, when, when that started and again, books, that's, you know, the original category, um, it could be, you know, buying, um, you know, uh, food items or electronics or other things that are, you know, through Amazon or marketplace. But even from the beginning, that was the kind of everyone set a fixed price compared to auctions. That was more of an eBay competitor, if not copycat. Um, yes, eBay has now largely switched to a fixed offer uh, platform. Auctions work for, you know, what we what we found out was that auctions work for some types of of categories of items, primarily collectibles, where there is not a real firm established market price for something. But for most everyday SKUs, pe people don't want to bidding process to it. You know, the, the gamification of it is not why they are there. And so, you know, that's, that's why we kind of largely gave up on mm -hmm. uh, bidding platforms. Yeah. Cause who wants to put in a bid and wait five days unless there was, you know, like the yeah. buy it now type option. Right. Yeah. Um, so what, I mean, what, what do you remember at the time? What was the approach for evaluating this marketplace experiment? Cause it, it seems like things, ended up working out. Were there mistakes that you were all on, on guard for? Or like, how long would you give if it had really struggled? I mean, you said it took some time 
to fill out? How do you know of like, oh, this isn't working or it's not working yet? Well, we were able to test a lot of it just through the value proposition of can, can we get some major brands to sign up to participate in the initial um, apparel launch. And so we were able to get some great brands to sign up and participate. So to some degree, that was you know, a test and validation right there. The other thing we had was, you know, we had a bunch of, of, of data, both internal data and external data. We knew, you know, we purposefully launched in apparel because we knew it was a good online buying category, even back in those early days that, that customers love being able to buy apparel online. We had a ton of customers at Amazon searching for apparel, even though we didn't offer it, we knew they were searching for it, and we could track some of the other online uh, seller, uh, yeah, sellers and marketplaces. So we knew apparel was a good category. the The hard thing we had to solve for is, you know, always in apparel. It's kind of, you know, uh, size and color variations makes for a tricky set of of catalog data as well as detail page behavior. And so we had to solve for some of those things. And, and those, those were hard, but I wouldn't put those as high risk uh, and everything, right? Like, you know, you can solve the problem. It, ju- it just takes, um, takes some effort doing it. But I really feel like we, it, w- it was just a function of doing it right and then being patient for customers and selections come along and understanding that it was, you know, part of the the wisdom, the leadership that that Amazon had, which was, you know, um, sometimes things take a little longer than you'd like. But if you see if you see behavior, you see customer satisfaction, you see you see things going in the direction that you want, then it's just hold on a little longer and keep tweaking it, and the market will fill in. But a lot, a lot of companies would have, would have, you know, kind of like, hey, you know, this isn't material in one year. We're moving on. We're not going to keep investing in it. Mm. And and that's the type of mistake that especially big companies make is they they do the exact opposite of what you need to do. They take they take their their businesses, their mature businesses, um, and then they have this little tiny uh, incubated thing, and they go well. We're going to prioritize things based on size, right? So all the attention goes to the big business. Well, these little tender things, these things need more attention and more priority, right? Like when you have something small and tender, you 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 treat it with extra special care. But that's not what big companies do. They they treat they they just have a stack rank P and L priority based mindset, and that is the exact opposite of what you need to do. You need to hold these precious little bets, these little ideas. And make them the priority, and you and the and the key aspect of priority means speed, speed to decisions, speed to resources, speed to testing, speed to everything. Versus in your scaled businesses, it's more like oh, we're trying to optimize for different things, right? You know, your cost per unit or different types of metrics. Completely different playbook. They sound similar, but they're very different. Mm. So is the mistake one that we might make as outsiders to Amazon, thinking that a company like Amazon, smart people, good ideas, that they always get it right the first time and that the rest of us need to do the same? No, 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 no. I, I mean, um, n- n- not at all. The, the, uh, not at all. The, the, the list of quote unquote failed 
investments. Yeah. Those aren't even mistakes. Those are actual failures at Amazon is, is, is long and illustrious and illustrative. And what it's illustrative of is that one big winner pays for 10 to 100 losers if you do the losers correctly, right? So, so and this is, this is really the part of the thesis of the next book, Big, Big Bet Leadership, which is actually how to control your risk on bets. And the, the key is, is to think big, but bet small, not to actually bet big. And so when you can do that, which is like think big, test out ideas, see how it reacts, but keep the the actual commitment levels, both externally and internally low, then you're able to actually let things succeed or fail or iterate on their own merits and not force it. And that allows you to keep at these things. And that's what Amazon has done is in general, they tend not to make big commitments before the the few real material risks are proven out. Mm. The risks, assumptions, things that need to be replaced with real data, right? That's that's right. Or or proof that you can do it, right? And and those things can be technical things. Those things can be cost elements, your operating model elements. Those things can be customer receptivity. You really need to understand what are the critical risk points of a new idea or a concept. Um, in, in, in our book, um, we tell the story of a digital transformation at a, at, a, at a big company. And in the early iteration, the team rationalized doing something that was very hard, which was a new billing system. But it actually isn't high risk, like billing systems exist. We know we can do it, but they take a lot of effort, you know, and everything. Right. And so they spent way too much time, material expense upfront, building a billing system for this new product and service. They deferred the real high risk piece, which was get Can we get our customer acquisition costs to a level that is maintainable that, that leads to a winning business and so we had, they had so much invested by the time they were able to figure out, oh, we actually can't get our customer acquisition costs to the basis that we need. And that is a really easy mistake to make is not understanding what is hard versus what is high risk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're joined uh, again today, John Rossman, and I want to come back uh, in a little bit and talk about the upcoming book, Big Bet leadership. But I, I want to ask a couple of things first about the Amazon way. Sure. Yeah. Look and a couple of the concepts there. So um, it's funny how this worked out. So there's a book, you know, from my professional circles, I've got a copy over here, the Toyota way that is also 14 points. Oh, interesting. 14, the Amazon way, 14. They're not the same. I'd, it'd be interesting to crosswalk those in a table. I haven't looked at the direct comparison there. Um, one of the famed quality gurus who influenced Toyota and people like me, W. Edwards Deming. Yeah. He famously had his 14 points for management. So I, I don't, how, how did the number 14 come to be? Well, Amazon ruined it um, because they, so in, so I've done three editions of the Amazon way in the last edition, which was published in June, 2021. Um, I, I wrote a recommendation to Amazon. The first time I'd ever done kind of anything like that. And the, re- the recommendation was, hey, 
you need to add a new leadership principle, not replace them, but add a new one. I called it the golden rule. And it was basically like, you always, you need to understand your place now. You're no longer the scrappy underdog. You're not, you know, you influence economies and communities and you, you, you need to just grow up at times. And shortly after I released the book, two months after I released the book, Amazon made added two new leadership principles. So they now have 16 leadership principles. <laughs> okay. And I can't prove that my 15th suggested 15th leadership principle influenced that, but we also can't prove that it didn't uh, and stuff. Yeah. And so, um, so Amazon now has 16 uh, leadership principles. One of the pieces of feedback I get, I, I work with a number of companies on, on kind of like, you know, leadership and culture and this concept of principles. And, and they always go like, well, you know, that's just too many. And if you actually look at these, it's not just the title of the leadership principle. It's the paragraph underneath it where the real wisdom comes in is you're not intended to use all 16 at once. In any given circumstance, you have to understand, you know, the three or four that maybe come into play. And that's not too many to actually know. Think of, think about an NFL quarterback and how many plays they have to know going into a game. And for each play, they actually have to know what every position player on their, on their um, side of the ball needs to do and everything. Asking somebody to just print out a list and have, you know, 10 or 15 leadership principles. But when you only have four or five, what tends to happen is they tend to be these really obvious things like, treat each other with respect or uh, do the right thing. Well, those are actually, they're good, but they're hard to make distinct decisions against. They're hard to really use. They don't tell me what's really different about this place versus every other place. And so when you look at Amazon's leadership principles, they really tell you this is what's expected from how we work together, how we make decisions, how we prioritize. And so it, 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 while we call them principles, it's kind of down the path of an actual operating um, guide guidebook or a playbook and everything, right? And so they're very practical. They're intended to be used by everybody in everyday decisions and everyday uh, meetings to help make better and consistent oriented decisions. Yeah. And so you, you talk about how Amazon you know, has become very influential. Toyota is influential. And I know people at Amazon have studied Toyota and trying to think of, you know, how to bring Toyota production. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the, from a quality and, and, and lean and flow basis, um, everybody builds on the shoulders of everybody else. Right. And so, and so um, uh, that's absolutely true. But, you know, I, I see organizations make, I think, two types of mistakes if they're trying to emulate or copy or learn from Toyota. One is trying to copy them too directly, too literally. And then the other mistakes kind of in the other direction where they want to take the bits and pieces like, well, I like points three, 12 and 13, but nah, not the rest of them. Then, then, I mean, for better, or for worse, then you're kind of, you're making up your own thing. What are, what are your thoughts on like the, 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 problem well, I, I, I would say, I would say um, my understanding, my guess is things like the, the Toyota way are, are, are more prone to be to like, we should be consistent across most companies that are using these. These are, these are engineering related. Amazons are more 
from a priority and culture standpoint, what they are. I, I actually wrote an appendix in the new version of the Amazon way about building your own leadership principles. And the number one piece of advice I have is don't rush. Have, you know, I, I do, I suggest etching them in jello. Write out what you think your leadership principles should be. Live with them for a while. The most important thing is that the ELT, the executive leadership team, actually uses these in the way that they work together. And if after three or four months they go, okay, what's working, what isn't working? What the big mistake is, is that companies rush to say, these are our principles, we've got these right, we're all committed to them and everything. And they actually don't work to, to test them out or to bake them into the culture. And the senior leaders actually don't emulate those leadership principles. So one of the Amazon way principles says, uh, it's number four, leaders are right a lot. A lot. Is, is that a reminder? Like it's an implied, not Always. I think that's a really important pickup that a, a lot means a lot. It doesn't mean always, but it also doesn't mean rarely and everything, right? So, so you know, maybe make that at the 80% level. You need to be right a lot. And, and that leadership principle is also balanced with another leadership principle, which is called bias for action. And that one reads, speed matters in business. Many decisions and actions are reversible and do not need to do not need extensive study. We value calculated, calculated risk-taking. So what we're saying is you have to both be um, right a lot and you need to understand what type of decision you're making. And is this one that should be made with speed and there's calculated risk or is this uh, a high stakes decision, we need to slow it down. So Amazon actually has a, a real practical metaphor, call it, that they use for this. And it's called one-way doors versus two-way doors. A one-way door decision is one that when you make it, you actually can't reverse it, right? So what do you do? Like um, uh, an acquisition is a good example of a one-way door decision. What do you do with a one-way door decision? You slow it down, you debate it, you bring it to center, you think about it a lot, right? Um, you, you try to propose alternatives versus a two-way door decision. A two-way door decision is one that we can make. We can see what's on the other side. We can test and learn, and we can, we can come back. M most situations can be broken down into a set of two-way door decisions. That's really about experimentation design, right? But what most companies and teams are good at is clumping situations together so that it feels like a one-way door decision. And then what do they do? They have to bring it to the center. They have to slow it down. They have to shift accountability to others. And they make very diluted, very common decisions versus provocative, fast, experimental-led decision-making. Mm. And it seems like with with that approach and being data driven and other things that are in those points. So there's one other thing that jumps out in the description of, of point four, they don't make the same mistakes over and over. And we love to celebrate that here on the podcast. Yeah. You can't be, you know, you know, the goal is to learn from, from the mistakes. And so, you know, while um, making mistakes is, is great. If you're repeating them, that means we're not actually learning from them. And so, yeah, that from, especially at the senior leadership level, like that's, that's just not what you do. Yeah. And last time I'll bring up Toyota, but there's a, a quote from um, the until recently CEO, who's now um, chairman that I, that I used to, to head up, uh, kick off a chapter in the book said basically, um, I think it's a pretty direct quote, 
Um, it's in Toyota's DNA that once a mistake is made, it is not repeated. Now, that's that's their aspiration. Is it 100% perfectly true? Probably right. not. But there's an important mindset there. Yeah. Uh, Bill Belichick, you know, coach of the New England Patriots, he has this, uh, I heard this interview with Tony um, Belusky, one of his Hall of Fame linebackers, and he said, Bill does not accept repeat remakers. You know, you can't be, you can't make the same mistake twice. And his attention to detail was incredible. And so he would get after everybody about a doing things the right way at a detailed level and B you can't make the same mistake twice. Yeah. So looking ahead to the upcoming book, big bet leadership, your playbook for winning in the hyper digital era. Again, uh, our guest and author is John Rossman. The phrase hyper-digital era, like what, yeah. tell, tell, tell us a little bit more about what makes it quote-unquote hyper-digital. Well, that, that is the setup for the preface of the book where I answer that question directly. But the tease I'll give you here is that if you think, so Netscape went public August 8th, 1995, and most people use that as kind of the starting gun for the digital era, Right. Our premise is, if you think the past 27 years has had a lot of disruption, a lot of change, a lot of, a lot of uh, new capability, that's really going to be the warm-up innings to what the next 30 years is going to be, is that it's the combination of a number of mega forces that are going to create seismic change. And in that seismic change, there's going to be even bigger winners and bigger losers some of the companies that were the winners in the first digital era will, will end up being losers uh, in the next digital era. And that just as much as management expertise needs to be in kind of operations, leaders need to become experts at transformation and innovation. And they're not today, right? Companies are not geared that way. Companies are built to optimize in the status quo. And everything about innovation and transformation goes against those things. And so that was our mission with Big Bet Leadership is to attack the specific failure points of why innovation programs and transformation programs fail and to give both a, a principle and a tactic to attack that point of failure. It's not a methodology, but it, it's a specific anecdote to the points of failure of why all of these Big Bets have anywhere from a 75 to a 90% failure rate. Um, and it's because we're not good at them. Mm. So it sounds like in this era, climate, with the challenges uh, that we're going to face, I don't know, with AI and other technologies, um, is it fair to say that, that I don't know, everybody's a tech company now or everybody what, needs to be or does it go beyond that? Well, um, I think the technology is certainly uh, in a um, persistent and big factor in all of that. And so I think in general, yes technology will continue to play a bigger and bigger aspect of enabling all the aspects of both the operating model and the customer experience and, and the derivatives of all the data that we should have uh, from a business. But the technology will actually is always the easiest part out of all this. It's hard, but it's the easiest part out of all of this, right? It, it's always about the the people and the tradition and the expectations and driving change, that's always the hardest part of these. And the communication challenges of making sure that we actually 
are talking about the same thing. Mm. It's funny you mentioned Netflix, just as a quick aside, um, you know, so it's been almost 30 years. They're in the process of shutting down the original mail order yeah. DVD yeah. business. Yeah. And yeah. Um, heard a story. And, 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 and people forget about the massive flub they had where they tried to separate the mail order right. business from the streaming business. I think it was called Quickster, you know, and everything. Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. It, the, the stock got cut in half and, you know, they rolled that back and everything. Right. Um, you know, interesting uh, mistake. It'd be really interesting to understand how they couldn't test that earlier and everything. But the offer I have for your listeners on big bet leadership is, um, Go to bigbetleadership.com. When the book releases on February 27th, if you register, I'll, I'll select 10 to 15 from this podcast to send you a Kindle version of the book. My only request, and it's a request, is that you write a customer review for the book. But anyway, it'll be a real nice um, book and um, the digital version will be great. Yeah, and I hope people will um, take advantage of that. I'll make sure that there's a link in the show notes, I'll, I'll get that from you, John. So that book, again, Big Bet Leadership, Your Playbook for Winning in the Hyper-Digital Era. Maybe one last question for you, John, about the book. Um, how do you think through those different types of failures or, or mistakes? Action mistakes, the things we did, the inaction mistakes of, well, we, we kept with the status quo or the things that we should have done. Like what, what, how do you think through that, that risk between taking action and finding out that it's wrong versus the risk of the status quo or not doing something? Well, I think in general, because companies don't know how to experiment cheaply and quickly, one of the really poor side effects of that is that they retract, right? They do less experimentation because they don't know how to keep them small. And so I think the biggest point of failure is actually that they are not testing, experimenting, innovating, trying new things enough. So I, I think that over the longer period of time, it will be the mistakes of inaction that really sink them and not the mistakes of action. Mm. And that's, it's, it's, it, that makes sense, but it's just, it's, you know, people value uh, different things Like you know, you hear, um, well, it's you know, bias for action or being action oriented, or it seems like it's um, easier to be either to take credit for, or be criticized for the action. Like I think of art, this might be dangerous to bring up. Are you a Seahawks fan? Uh, Seahawks? Uh, sure. Yeah. Well, the famous play call, Pete Carroll, end of whatever Super Bowl that was, when everyone's saying you should have handed off to Marshawn Lynch. He took a risk. They threw a pass. It got intercepted. I, I, I'm not trying to gloat. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I hope that's not too painful to bring up. But, I mean, that was a risky bet. And if they had handed off to Marshawn Lynch and he had gotten stuffed, like, I mean, that it's yeah, like yeah, one of those um, things you're damned if you do, damned if you didn't. Uh, I'm thinking of a book um, – called um oh she's a professional gambler and she wrote a book about oh, uh, any duke yes yes her, her uh, first I, book yes. she, she actually breaks down that scenario and mm. shows that 
you know, what you're doing is called resulting, right? You're saying the result was wrong. Therefore, the process of what they did was incorrect. And her whole book thesis is you need to separate out resulting from understanding the process and focusing on the process, right? And so according to her analysis, the call that Pete Carroll made was actually the absolute right probabilistic cause call. It just, it, it was it was a rarity of an outcome for it to come out that way. So that that was her breakdown uh, relative to that. But um, yeah, I wish he had handed it off to Marshawn's for well, sure. Either so. way, you wish they had scored and won the game, which is playing the result. But e- yeah. e- either way, so it was a great story. Uh, yeah, Annie Duke thinking in bets. Annie, yeah, yeah, thinking in bets. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Very good book, and that's the that's the major thesis of the book is. Don't confuse the results you get with the process that you undertook. And that is one of these common mistakes. Oh, that didn't work out. We'll never do it like that again. That's a, that's a very common mistake for um, most operators to make. Well, John, thanks again. Um, we'll finish with one more mention of, of your book, not Annie Duke's book, Big Bet Leadership, Your Playbook for Winning. In the hyper digital era, look for a link in the show notes to take advantage of uh, the generous offer. Uh, John, thank you for doing that. And and thank you for being a guest here today. Mark, it's been great to get to know you. And thank you for all the work that you do. And um, really appreciate the opportunity. Sure thing. Thanks. Well, thanks again to John Rossman for being our guest today. His book, Big Bet Leadership, is scheduled for uh, February 24th, 2024 release. You can pre-order it now on Amazon. Look for links in the show notes or you can go to markraven.com slash mistake 242. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.